truth of that song, uh, that there is incredible victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw a little girl right down here who was doing what I felt like right about then. Uh, she was all over the place, just kind of dancing around about it. And it wouldn't be very dignified if I did it, but I can feel like I want to do it, can I? Uh, it's all right. But anyway, i just just very excited to be here again with you folks and just to think about what the Lord has already done for us, given us the victory. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy being saved and con- plan to continue to do that. I mean, I, I had this idea uh, before the Lord straightened out my life that if a person ever got saved, all the fun was over. You had to be kind of like a prune and just kind of shrivel up after that. And that there was no more joy in life, no more victory in life, no more uh, happiness, no more fun in life. But you know, if it ever gets out, uh, how much fun we believers have. In fact, to be more precise, if it ever gets out how much fun we preachers have... you know, everybody's going to want to be one. I mean, they really are. Uh, we were getting ready to come to church tonight, and uh, we, were, we were having prayer in there in Brother Orr Gorman's uh, living room, and uh, we were praying, so we jumped up, you know, didn't want to be late, and uh, I, I looked over at him. I said, do I have time to go up and brush my teeth before we leave here? And without, without a second's hesitation, he said, I was hoping you were going to brush your teeth. The way it came, the way he, it came out, and this is the way I think he meant it, it was, I hope you were going to brush your teeth sometime while you're here. <laughs> Preachers are like that. I mean, you just don't know the real guy until you know the real guy back there. And we have a blast like that all the time. It's great to uh, have fun in the Lord and rejoice. Uh, you know, I'm not going to a funeral. I'm going to a resurrection. And it ought to be a fun time. It ought to be a great time. I'm just rejoicing about that. And, I, you know, when I go before the Lord, uh, I want to go just as uh, clean and pure as I can possibly be. But if it's left up to me, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm going to uh, mess up and foul up. I'm going to uh, ruin my fellowship with God. Uh, I'm going to uh, get involved in something. And so that's why I have to lean on the victory and the grace that God's already brought and wrought in my life. But I found out that I have an enemy out there. In fact, I have more than one enemy. My first enemy is my own flesh. Uh, I, You know, we have this thing called the sin nature uh, that is the effect of the fall of man into sin. And our minds are affected, our desires are affected, and it just it's just a... Uh, a dangerous thing within us. And our greatest enemy is not really Satan. It's the first of all our flesh. Uh, every man is tempted, the Scripture says, when he's drawn away of his own lust. That's when you're tempted after you're drawn away of your own lust. And so uh, it's, it's a very powerful thing when you think about it. And Satan knows how to exploit. He's our second enemy. But he's, he knows how to exploit what we are and our own failures as a result of the sin nature. Now I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, tonight over to Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, brother, uh, the three of us, Brother O'Gorman, Brother John, myself, have been uh, working on the schedule tonight. We don't want to wear you out. And so we've kind of agreed that uh, the first guy is going to go a little bit sh- uh, s- shorter and then give the second guy more time who preaches. And so I've got to get it said tonight. Well, we in the South are not too good at getting it said. So I've got to move right along here. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. And the devil... Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, 
showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now you know that Satan always has an agenda. What was his agenda here? What was he trying to do? Exactly. He was trying to tempt Jesus. This is called the temptation of Christ right here. He was trying to uh, tempt Jesus with something he pretended Jesus didn't have have access to. And so he was trying to tempt uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's very significant. When you walk out of the doors of this church tonight, you're going to meet two things. Uh, first of all, you are going to meet the culture of your nation that's out there. You're going to meet the culture of Ireland. Uh, I have enjoyed finding out a little bit about the culture of Ireland. I love your country. I hope you love your country. I, I love your country. I've just uh, gotten the biggest joy out of going around here. Uh, it is a great thing. It's an old and ancient culture. Uh, you have to be kind of proud of it. Uh, I'm proud of my connection to it, my, uh, the history of my family. And you have to, have to kind of like it, like being an Irishman. And my apologies to all the Welchmen and uh, Scots and everybody else and Africans in the church here. But, uh, uh, you know, everybody has to be from somewhere, right? So, uh, uh, but anyway, you've got to be proud of your heritage. And it's a good thing. But also, when you go out the doors of this building tonight... Uh, you're going to be faced with something called the world. The world. Now, what is the world? Well, the world in our context tonight is the system that Satan has designed that is out there to trip you up and to make you sin. He goes on and says in another place, he said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of God. So God says that everything that is out there in the world is not of God. Now, you've got, so when you go out there, you've got the culture and you've got the world. Think about that just a moment. Now, is there anything wrong with the culture? It's a trick question, isn't it? What is the relationship between the culture of your nation and every nation and the world? What's the, uh, what's the connection between them? How do they relate one to another? It's a very important question because Scripture says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, He says, love not the world. It is a sin for us to love the world, and yet nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're not supposed to love our culture. Uh, I see a number of Asian people out in the auditorium here to, today. They love their culture. They love uh, their nation. Uh, I'm an American. I love my culture. Uh, those of you who are Irishmen, Scots, and uh, Oh, you love your culture, you love your nation. I'm most comfortable in my own culture. I kind of know what that other person's thinking. You probably are too. Well, uh, so we love, there's much to love out there. But how do those two fit together? They exist on the same earth, do they not? How do they fit? One of them is very dangerous. The other one is not so bad. Uh, okay, how do they relate? The answer is, that they are skillfully 
woven together by Satan. Satan likes has built his world, his world system, and integrated it into the culture of every nation in the world. When Satan took Jesus out there, he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have all of this, and, but what he didn't say was that there's good and there's bad out there. Would you agree with that, that out there in the world that you walk around, there are many good things and many bad things? The most difficult thing is to distinguish between the two. Now, if you don't do that, then you can easily walk into danger and have your commitment to Jesus, your walk with Jesus, undermined. He will mess you up if you don't learn to distinguish between those two. And what Satan has done that is so clever is that he uh, has so interwoven the, uh, his wickedness, his wicked system into the, our cultures, the cultures of the world, that sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. Isn't it? Sometimes you look at something and you think, I don't know about that. I don't know that. It could, you know. That's because Satan has interwoven the two. And in fact, there are no perfectly pure cultures in the world. No matter where you live in the world, there are dangers there and there are good things there. Think about that just a moment. There are dangerous things and there are good things there. These uh, Asian Christians who are here tonight, uh, I admire, there's something in their culture that I admire so greatly. There is a respect in Asian cultures, for uh, particularly the aged, the older people. And they, those folks seem to have that principle down. Uh, you'll watch an Asian, and when an older person begins to speak, he'll be silent. There's a great respect there. Uh, a lot of times when an older person walks in, uh, they'll stand up, they'll give way. Uh, and there's just a wonderful... They respect their ancestors. They respect their parents. It is a wonderful thing, and it's a Bible principle. In fact, Scripture says, and I think this is very interesting, Scripture says, Leviticus 19, verse 32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. God says to godly people, He says, when someone comes in uh, who has the gray hair of age, that's what hoary means, that you stand up in reverence to them, in respect for them. The Asians know that. They're good at that. Uh, they are really good at that. And so, uh, that is a good thing. Unfortunately, Satan, remember, has interwoven into that good part of the culture his bad. And sometimes, in certain uh, Asian cultures, they go beyond that respect of the ancestors and the parents, and they do something called ancestor worship. And they worship the ancestors. And they have uh, images that represent ancestors. And they fall down. And the ancestors become like gods. Well, when they do that, they've created an idol out of the ancestors. And what was a very good thing becomes a bad thing. Wouldn't you say that? God says, have no idol before me. Isn't that right? Okay. My culture in the southern United States uh, is something... I love it. It's laid back... It's relaxed, it's friendly, and the people are just kind of easygoing, you know. Uh, we call them good old boys. 
good old boys. You can figure out what that means. But anyway, uh, they're, they're just good old boys. Well, that's good. It, it, you know, we're, we're known to kind of be a friendly people. But there's a problem with it. Satan has interwoven into my culture an evil too. Because of that laid-back nature, our people incline toward uh, laziness and drunkenness and irresponsibility. And we have a lot of people in our culture uh, who quit school early. They're not diligent in that. And because of that, they never get a good job, and they're constantly quitting job. They don't have the determination. They can't keep their mouth shut uh, because well, that's another problem we have in our culture. We're laid back until you stir us up, and then it just can become really mouthy and really mad and really fighty. Y'all, anybody feel this? You know, And so uh, it's just one of those things. And we turn what's good in our culture, and Satan comes in and he exploits it, and he makes it something bad. And uh, there's a pride that goes along with it. uh, Where uh, among my culture, uh, there's a saying, you can't tell me nothing. Does that sound proud? It is. And by the way, there's no good fruit in that. Uh, You don't have a learner spirit when you're like that. And so that's my culture. Okay, now, here's the point of all this. Satan has designed his world system using the cultures of the world as a system to keep people away from God. Do you understand that? That is the purpose of the world. He uses the lust of the flesh. We know what that is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, that's the covetousness. We want certain things. We want them so bad, we'll do wrong things to get them. And then, uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. How much trouble has pride gotten you into? If I, I wish I could remove all the scars from my body that pride has gotten me. But I can't do it. Uh, for, uh, scars of my life. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And that's why Jesus says, uh, there is a world out there mixed in your culture, and you better beware of it because it's designed to keep you away from God. And if you come to God, it's designed, listen now, it's designed to keep you from living for Jesus and walking in the Christ life that Brother John teaches about so well. What, living Christ life, it's out there. Now, you say, what is the key? What, how, what red flag is there out there that would let me know that I'm beginning to love something in the world that might uh, pull me away from God? Well, the key to it is the love itself. And you can spot that by the mental absorption. Uh, 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 you become mentally absorbed with a certain thing. It becomes a little too important to you, something out there in the world, in your culture. Now, because I need to hurry tonight, I want you to look at another verse. It is Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 4. Look at that in your Bible, if you will, and I think this will help explain a little bit about what I need to say tonight. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 4. 
I brought my little Bible tonight. I have a little trouble reading it up here. Jeremiah 24 and verse 4. Does that begin, and they shall be my people? Do I have the right verse there? Uh Uh-oh, I was afraid I didn't. Well, let me quote you this verse, and then when I get to where I can see my Bible again, uh, I uh, I will find the right place for you. Here's what the verse says. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Understand that what God wants from you more than anything else in all the world is your whole heart. He wants your whole heart. This does not say that God wants 98% of your heart. But God wants your whole heart. He wants you to have uh, a complete love for Him where He just he has all of you. He has your whole heart. Now hold that thought in your mind and uh, turn over to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea is one of the little uh, minor prophet books. You know, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel kind of in the middle of your Bible. They're called the major prophets. And then uh, the Bible starts, Hosea is one of the little ones. The book of Hosea, chapter 4, and verse 11. Now remember that God wants your whole heart. And look at Hosea 4, 11. It's one of the most unusual and interesting verses that I know in the Bible. Listen to what it says. Whoredom. Now boy, there's a rough word, isn't it? Whoredom and wine... And new wine do what? Somebody say it. Take away what? The heart. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Now I assume by the fact that you folks are here on a Monday night that you're here because you want to be here. Right? You're here because you want to be here. I want to tell you something tonight that will help you as much as anything will ever help you if you'll internalize it. It is that whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Now, those of you that are family people, I apologize for using that kind of terminology, but you see where I got it, right? I got it right out of God's Word, and therefore God must want us to think about this in this context. So, stay with me for just a moment. Now, three things there. The whoredom, the wine, and the new wine. Is that a list of bad things? Now, be careful. Don't answer too quickly. Is that a list of bad things? All right, let's look at them. Number one, I'm sorry to say it again, whoredom. Good thing or bad thing? That's clearly a bad thing, isn't it? I don't think anybody would say, oh, that's great, would they? Uh, No, it is clearly a bad thing. I mean, it's just a bad thing. Uh, Even those who participate in that uh, would not recommend it to their children, would they? I mean, it's just, it's just a bad thing. Uh, all of you people are just, you're smart people, 
your analytical people, I, everybody would say uh, that is a bad thing. It's bad for the people who do it. It's bad for the society. It's terrible for the children that are produced in that. Uh, it is. Uh, it destroys many a family. It's just a bad thing. Uh, no argument about that. All right. What about that second thing? He says, hoard them and then wine. Wine. Uh, I started to ask, is that a bad thing? But I don't think I will. And here's the reason. Uh, at our church back in Georgia, uh, that's a clear-cut issue. I mean, that's just a clear-cut issue. Uh, that is a bad thing. Uh, I mean, my, uh, my family has suffered uh, dramatically because of alcohol. Because I, my, as far as I know, my grandfather, my namesake, my full name is Thomas William Miles. Thomas William Miles I went to a drunken grave as far as we know. He drank himself to death. Uh, it was an awful, awful thing. Uh, it has been a bane in my family uh, on both sides for years and years and years. Uh, some of you folks have a history. You have a family history uh, where... Uh, drunkenness and all that, that has just been a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, in my view, as I read Scripture, uh, that is clearly the wrong way to go. However, you know uh, that there are denominations out there who will say, well, I don't think it's wrong uh, to drink just a, a cup of wine with my steak. I just don't see anything wrong. Or a glass of wine with my steak. You, y'all have heard all this argument before. Now, that's not me, buddy. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm teetotaler all the way. That's the way I see the Bible. Uh, I, I read it. There are too many warnings. Look not upon the wine uh, when it's red, when it giveth its color to the cup. Alas, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Uh, I don't play with rattlesnakes, and I don't play with wine either. All right, that's the way I feel about it. But is that clear enough? Uh, okay. Uh, but However, there are people out there that I think are probably saved. Uh, who will say that? I, I, I think it's, you know, if I want to have a glass, I don't drink it in excess, I don't do all this. And that's the way they put it. So anyway, it's not as uni All across the Christian church, you'll find people saying that, that whoredom is bad. But when you get to this thing of uh, alcoholic wine, there are a few people out there who, who don't believe that. Particularly in Europe, right? I mean, that's, that's just kind of the way that is. And so... Uh, there'd be a little bit of controversy about that. All right, so let's just, uh, no, no question mark in my mind, but we can put a little question mark in the minds of a lot of people there. All right, but move to that third thing. New wine. I studied this before I came over here to Ireland to make sure this was right. Do you know what new wine is? It is nothing but grape juice. The word... Uh, the Hebrew word that's used there for new wine uh, means uh, expulsion. And what it's talking about is when you crush the grapes and the juice squirts out of there, it's expelled out of there, that's the meaning of that word that's used for new wine. It's a Hebrew word, and it just means grape juice that's squeezed right out of the grapes. Uh, there's another word for it, I understand, it's must. Uh, it's the stu Now they take that and ferment it, and make it alcoholic wine. Y'all don't know, know all this. But the word that's used for new wine right here is strictly grape juice. Now, anything wrong with having a little grape juice? 
I hope not, because Brother John fed some to his son this week. In fact, Brother O'Gorman did it. So if he did, if there is something wrong with it, we're all in trouble. In fact, at my church, uh, we use that for communion. And so if we've been sousing everybody all these years uh, in the communion, I need to go home and repent. Okay, so I think anybody in the Christian church would say, "Mm, no, nothing wrong with grape juice. Right? Okay. Now here we've got an interesting thing. We've got something that's clear-cut wrong, and God says these things that are clear-cut wrong, like whoredom, will take away the heart. And then He says, not only that, but those things that some people put a question mark on will take away the heart. And then, wonder of wonders, God says there are some perfectly innocent things like grape juice that will take away the heart. Why? How? Did you know that there are certain things that you can become mentally absorbed with that will take away your heart? God says, I want your whole heart and I don't want to share it with anything else. I don't want to share it with anything. When I was in Bible college, there was a young preacher who was in Bible college with me. And he was an interesting guy. He was just really energetic. And he discovered a a game that we have in America. Maybe you have it over here. It's called Putt-Putt. They have these little courses over there. And uh, the courses may be 30, each each hole is about 30 feet long. It's a golf game. And you, it's putting. And you put down this little course, and the ball drops in a little hole. And uh, it became so big in America that it was there, there was actually a professional putt-putters association. And you could become a professional putt-putter. Now, that's my goal in life, right? To become a professional putt-putter, PPP, you know? Uh, but anyway, my buddy in Bible college uh, got all involved in playing putt-putt. He was good. And so here he is. He's training to be a preacher. And, uh, but every spare moment, guess what he wanted to do? He wanted to go out and play putt-putt. Now, to my knowledge, there's nothing wrong with... Is there? As far as I know, nothing wrong. It's like new wine. Nothing wrong with it. Do you know he got so interested in that that it took away his heart for the things of God, washed him out of Christian ministry, ruined him as far as I can tell. I hadn't heard from him in about 30 years, and he called me about 10 years ago, Brother John, and uh, he had floundered around his whole life and never served God. You know what happened? It had taken away his heart. Beloved, there are 10 million things out there that are perfectly innocent, that will take away your heart. You know why? Because the good things in life can be the enemies of the best things in life. And the best thing in life is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, there are thousands zillion things that will take away your heart. Take away all the gains that you've made. Ladies, there are 10,000 other interests out there that will get you out of church, There are a gazillion things that can take away your heart. Now, I'm preaching short tonight. I'm going to leave that right there. I want to ask you, though, to bow your head and say, God, what is the thing that might try to take away my heart? And God, will you help me to be alert to those things that might steal my zeal from God? Would you bow your heads and ask Him that?